from the Child and Family Policy Center. This is A Deeper Dive. A Child Policy Podcast. I'm Ann Disher with Common Good Iowa. That's the name of our new organization following the merger of the Child and Family Policy Center and the Iowa Policy Project. Today on the podcast, Head Start, and how this beloved early childhood program has been adapting since the start of the COVID pandemic this spring. I'm talking with Carrie Sodders, the Early Childhood Programs Director at Mid-Iowa Community Action, or MICA, which is based in Marshalltown and operates Head Start programs in five central Iowa counties. And I'm also on the line with Melissa Nelson, the Early Childhood Programs Coordinator for North Iowa Community Action, based in Mason City, which runs Head Start programs in nine north central Iowa counties. Melissa and Carrie, thank you so much for joining us today to talk about Head Start in the time of COVID and various natural um, disasters. Um, Carrie, I'll start with you. How does Head Start at MICA in in Marshalltown look different than it did, say, in February before the pandemic? Well, thanks for having us. Um, In Marshalltown on, I believe it was March 20th, we sent every all our staff home, our whole staff in community action, with the exception of those that were providing food assistance, direct food assistance to families. So really different, really, really different. Um, Head Start and Early Head Start are relationship-based programs and um, face-to-face programs. They're in, we're in homes and in classrooms. So we had to make a big shift in March of 2020, as many, many, many other service providers have. We provided at first short check-ins with families, thinking the situation might not be as long-term as it turns out to be. And then we started realizing we needed to, to provide different types of services for a longer time period. So then, then we moved to video chat. Um, video conferencing for group meetings. We also had to equip our staff members with both the technology that they needed and the resources, like for instance, their curriculum uh, resources. We had to get them access to that. So very different. It's all what we call virtual services. That sounds familiar. And actually, I have the same question for you, Melissa, up in um, in Mason City. Um, how does Head Start look different than it did before the pandemic? Yes. Thank you again for having us. Our story sounds very similar to Carrie's. Um, we shut down in March, hoping that it was a short-lived um, time frame, and we quickly realized that that wasn't the case. We um, did similar things to MICA in that we provided online learning opportunities for families. We were delivering packets to families. Uh, we also participated in getting food boxes put together and dropping those off to families in need that were um, eligible for Head Start services. And then since we also provide items like diapers and wipes and formula while they're in our program, Since they were still technically enrolled, we were able to provide those opportunities as well to families. So just making sure that 
We were keeping up with the relationships, making sure that we were available to the families that we serve and in hopes that we would be able to get back to a little bit of normalcy. Um, Over the summer, we did a lot of planning and trainings with different entities to make sure that we had everything in place to open up and, and be ready to serve families in person for fall. So it's very different, like Carrie said, and and we're all still learning and we're all still getting used to the big changes that we have had to endure. No doubt. Well, and and I, I want to delve more into what those services look like for kids and families right now. But actually, I, w- I think it would be helpful for folks listening in just for some for some of them to get a, r- a little reminder about Head Start. I think most people understand early childhood enriching um learning opportunities. But I would love, again, just a little more detail for folks on early Head Start and Head Start, and really what are those array of services that these two programs provide? Head Start, um, in general, in Iowa, is a classroom-based program. So the children attend a classroom, a preschool classroom. It's for children three to five years old before they go to the public school or to kindergarten. Early Head Start is for as as soon as in during a pregnancy, we can we can provide services up to when they transition to preschool. And in Iowa, the services are either in classrooms or in what we call the home-based model, which is a home visitation program. And staff go into homes for 90 minutes every week, working with the families to provide child development, um, to provide a child development environment in the home. And in the case of cases of your two agencies, what models do you have both for early Head Start? Do you do both classroom and the the home visitation model or do you focus on just one? For North Iowa Community Action, we have a combination. We do have two early Head Start centers where we serve the children year-round in a center-based option, but we also have a funding to serve 12 families in the home visitation model that Carrie discussed. For our Head Start program, we are all in classrooms, and a majority of our classrooms are located right within the local school district that we partner with. And for MICA, we also have both um, classroom, what we call center-based or classroom services for Early Head Start. We have those in um, two locations, and they go from infant six weeks old to when children transition to preschool. And then we have home visitation in four of our five counties. So a home-based model and, um, and serve those families weekly in their home. Well, now let's let's talk a little bit about about the fall and and I'm curious um, those center based care for early head start did that also close down? Were you able to keep some of those services going? And what does it look like right now? So the, it's my understanding that that all classrooms Head Start and early Head Start classrooms closed in Iowa in the spring, but the early Head Start classrooms tended to be the ones that opened first because they are year round. So, so many of the Head Start classrooms, not all, but so many of them are closed for the summer. And so when we were prepared around June, for the most part in the state, to open classrooms back up, 
the early Head Start ones tended to be the ones that opened. And so um, what, I mean, obviously, I'm sure it's like any other, you know, it's like, I'm sure a lot of childcare providers, and I know we've, we've chatted with providers along the line around the kinds of precautions that they have had to take and, and how they're managing health and, and safety. And I know it's a lot. Can you talk a little bit about what that's meant within the early Head Start environment? Sure. I know for um, the program directors throughout Iowa, we've been working very closely together since uh, we were all shut down. We've been having weekly calls with our regional office and sharing our um, thoughts and our ideas on how reopening will or should look. Um, For us, it was a lot of making sure we had appropriate PPE and equipment enough um, cleaning supplies and those types of items to open and remain open, knowing that some of the things were so hard to find. We also spent a lot of time participating in different webinars and trainings around certain health practices, learning about the guidance from the CDC, and also working with public health officials to make sure that we had things in place to be sure to open um, in in the right way. So certain things like asking those symptomatic questions, taking temperatures, um, making sure that we are really removing soft surface type items out of the classroom or things that are not easily cleaned, and just being able to make sure that we're providing the staff enough time to get the cleaning and sanitation things done that is needed within the classrooms. Well, hardly anything at all then, she says with sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> it's so right, though, because it's it's really different than our regular model. Um, we The screenings that we do before children come in, removing all the soft items from the classroom, that's not, that's not typical for an early childhood classroom, whether it's infant, toddler, or preschool. We, we also are doing a part of the cleaning is doing daily laundry. So each child has their own crib or their own cot that they they sleep in. And normally those the bedding is washed once a week. The, in, in today's world, we're washing it every day. Um, so there's just a many, many, many more tasks for the staff to do while they're developing relationships with children and helping them learn and grow. And how, how has that been? I mean, how has that been both for staff and how has that been for, for families getting used to really a, a very different situation? I know in, in at MICA, I've, the feedback I've gotten from, from staff uh, it include, they are so happy to be back together with children that that's what they do. That's, that's their, um, their role with children is to be in person with them. I think the the working from home and virtually connecting with families was more difficult. Uh, it's also, if I think about my infant and toddler classrooms, there is already a lot of health and safety practices that we're pretty, that we're very, very careful about. And so this this adds another layer, but it's not really another concept for our staff. So they understand the importance of, of the um, constant or consistent, I should say, 
cleaning of surfaces, as we know, infants and toddlers mouth items um, to, to make sure that, that those items aren't shared, things like that. So it's just a different lens to, to look at, but the, the kind of the concept is, is already, you know, what they, are, what they were used to doing daily. I would agree with that. And I think, you know, our staff, similar to the MICA staff, were so excited to get back into the classroom and they really wanted to get back on track with serving children and families. But I would say that there is a lot more anxiety now around any child that comes in with a runny nose or any any type of cough or sneeze. And where in the typical world, we would have just, you know, thought it was allergies. And, you know, they just want to make sure that they're doing everything they can to reduce the spread and not allow somebody into the classroom that could potentially have the virus and just really being mindful of how that looks. One thing that I know Melissa and I both did because we had some discussion together with it is um, to provide scrubs for infants and toddler staff. So, so they have several outfits scrub outfits that they can change into if uh, if their scrub top gets soiled because they were feeding a child a bottle and the child spit up, they're able to change out of that right away and the style where they can take it off um, without pulling it over their head, those kinds of things that, that we were provided. We provided all of our staff with both masks and or face, they're really cloth face coverings and face shields. And we're, we're requiring the cloth face covering, but the, the shields are an option and some are choosing to, to wear those to protect themselves. So part of it is, is to provide the staff the, the supplies, the, what's necessary for them to feel safe. Well, you know, there's there's no doubt that I mean, and 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 I and I, I even hate to call it a silver lining because it's there's no silver lining to what this has meant for for families and and stuff. But I, I do think it has raised the conversation around the early childhood workforce and and the idea that you know they're essential workers, right? That they're they're critical workers. That they're they kind of hold our economy together. Um, and and you know, obviously, Head Start has got many. Um, aspects to it beyond, you know, providing care for, for families while, while parents work. But um, has it changed at all sort of how, how the, the Head Start workforce thinks of itself and, and its role in our state? It, I mean, it has because, because it's such a topic of conversation and they see themselves as straddling that that child care world and child education world. One thing that we're very clear about as Head Start and Early Head Start programs is we're a child education program, we're a child development program. But we also understand that families that we serve need full day services, that it's, it's very hard for any family to, to do half day services. So that the staff know that part of what they're providing to those families is is a place for their child to be safe and learning while they go to school or go to work. So yes, they, I think they do see themselves as essential. They were some of the first staff that we brought back to work in our agency. 
Um, and they were well aware of that, knowing that their service is so essential. I'm curious, too, about what you've seen, um, how you've seen the pandemic affect the families that you're working with, either in Head Start or early Head Start. I mean, has it has it I mean, it, it's felt stressful, I think, to a lot of families. And I, I'm just curious, sort of the themes you're hearing from families you're serving. I would say right away, we we really struggled with families wondering how or where they were going to get food from. Um, how they were going to get those essential supplies. Um, we had a period of time, and I, especially in our area, but I know it was probably everywhere, where you couldn't find the diapers. You couldn't find, you know, certain supplies to for your everyday living. And and we had a lot of families that were laid off from work, and some that lost jobs completely due to the type of work that they did. And I think there was just a lot of unknowns, and I think a lot of stress, knowing that. They couldn't bring their child in and they needed to find a job and they just, everything just kept piling up on them. So I think for our program, families were so thankful to be given the opportunity to get food boxes, to be given the opportunity to to check in with the, the staff and the family workers and making sure that they were heard and we were able to provide any resources needed. Um, but I think they all just really experienced a lot more stress and stress that maybe they weren't used to uh, prior to everything happening. Yeah, I would I would second all of what Melissa said. The, um, we were able to provide food, diapers, wipes, and at a time where it was really hard to get to particularly get the diapers, wipes, um, and food was just in need because of. Um, because of the job loss and loss of income that some of our families were experiencing. We, we also had families experiencing new challenging behaviors with their children. It could be because they were home all day and didn't go out to their normal places to, to do their normal things. It was a change in routine for the child. And so a lot of our our interactions with staff or with with families, I mean, focused around those challenging behaviors and giving the parents directly some strategies to use when their child challenges them with their behavior. And and we were one of the, as you said, there's no silver linings, but one of the unique um, service that we were able to provide is that that parents could call us in the moment and and call their like for instance their head start teacher in the moment and say this is what's happening right now and i'm not sure how to respond and the the um teacher was able to give the parents some some strategies that worked so so that it it felt like that was a success in a in a very challenging time also you know we think about families being challenged with distance learning or virtual learning for their children and these are very young children. So it's not really about children getting directly onto some sort of platform and learning. This is, when we do distance learning, it's, it's really coaching families is what we're doing and meeting the needs that they express. And so there, there was a, a heavy lift for the families to suddenly have their children home with them all day and think about how how to on on an hourly basis 
help their child learn and help them with their social emotional development and their and and responding to any any issues like you say around mental health or 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 social and emotional issues at just this incredibly challenging time and i would say as we were hearing about children experiencing new behaviors and and the families being in crisis we really thought it was important that we understood what that meant and before our classrooms opened we were able to provide a three-day training on being trauma responsive specifically around early childhood and the effects of covid and the pandemic so we really wanted to make sure that our staff were prepared at the start of the school year that they understood what that meant for children and families and that they were able to provide enough strategies and supports within the classroom to help those children as they transition back into going to school after being out of school for so, such a long period of time. I think it was just so sudden. A majority of our classrooms in our area had left for spring break on Friday, and then that following Monday, everything was closed down. So it was just that staff struggled not being able to, to officially say goodbye and especially those kids that moved on to kindergarten. I think we had a lot of staff that realized midway through June that they were really struggling themselves with the idea that they didn't get that end of year closure that they're so used to. Well, I have a good, a very good friend who's a kindergarten teacher, and I think very much felt that herself. And I, and I think is now a few days into school here in Des Moines is feeling you know, feeling the the appreciation for and yet the the absence of that preschool experience for kids who are now in kindergarten. They missed a lot, that's for sure. <laughs> that those last couple months can really, really lead to a lot of significant learning and development, especially in early childhood. And and we have children that definitely missed a lot of of experiences from being closed down. Some some Head Start programs in in the state were able to provide some in-person or virtual summer learning. That was actually part of the part of a funding package that came from the federal um, government to Head Start programs was to provide summer programming. And depending on um, where classrooms were located and what staff are available different sorts of summer programming happened in the state in Head Start programs, but it was all about that transition. And one thing that happened in the MICA area is that the, um, the storm on August 10th was the, our last week of class for some children. And so they went home after the storm and then they were, they were never able to come back because we did, because power wasn't restored to our center until after our last day. So, so it was kind of like even the ones that we, we thought we would be able to do those, those last few days with them and, and do the, the goodbye rituals that we often do with children who are transitioning out of a program. Um, they weren't able to either for a whole nother, you know, their unprecedented reason. Okay, that that's killing me. That's 
just hurts to think about that. Oh, and and I said, how what. I know, I know Marshalltown probably was in the path of the derecho. Did you have any damage to any of your facilities? The, the damage was minor and it was mostly fences and playgrounds and trees. Um, a few shingles, things like that. The, what really did it was the, the power, the power was out and it was out for our families. We, and our families had a, immediate needs of food. We were connecting families to places like the Salvation Army who was giving out emergency food packages. And, um, but, but the long-term uh, effects were, were, were not as much, not as much as a, as a, a tornado that went through Marshalltown in 2018. Absolutely. Well, it's been, you know, it's been a, a just a, a hard year in so many dimensions. And I, I think obviously the other way we're, th- you know, the other really thing, big thing that's happened is it was what really kicked off with the murder of George Floyd in May, a real sort of reckoning with with race and racism. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think no surprise, I think for, for people of color, but perhaps a reminder or new information for a lot of white folks who who you know, aren't necessarily as aware of, of racism. I'm just curious is his, what that has meant for, for you thinking about Head Start and thinking about serving families um, and, and about your programs. What, what kind of conversations or, or reckoning have you all been doing around race and racism? Well, as Melissa said, we have these weekly calls with directors and, um, Particularly a, a few weeks ago, we really we we had a lot of sharing of resources, things to read, um, trainings, things like that, um, both from programs and from our federal regional office staff um, that join our our weekly calls. Um, I I think it was a, an awakening for Head Start programs too. Uh, we've had what we call the multicultural principles in effect for decades. I wish I knew that when we first printed them and they still hold up, they're very, um, very relevant. Although it's, it's, it's easy, just like it's easy for, for any other programming or individual to um, just not to have that awareness at the top of your mind. And it certainly brought it, brought it to us again. Our, our program is um, doing some book studies. We're doing, we're, we're starting where, where I hear most people need to start, which is self-awareness. Talking about some research studies around, um, in, in particularly in preschool programming around uh, preschool expulsion, which which really doesn't happen in Head Start programs where we're prohibited from doing that, but it still shows kind of a bias there. And then um, some other research studies about who preschool teachers kind of assume will will be challenging and who they assume won't be challenging and, and based and having that compared to reality. So all that self-awareness work that that we really all need to be to be working on um, all the time. Yes, we're doing we're doing very similar things to what Carrie is mentioning and bringing 
bringing the topic to staff, making them aware of it, making them self-aware and and just being able to provide the information that we've been given as part of our weekly calls. Um, there were some stories and um, articles that I was never aware of that really brought light to the situation and, and just making sure that we have the language we need to be able to express um, those things to our families, to the children at their level, and, and just making sure that we are focused on unequality and making sure that all members are being treated equally. So I think, you know, like Carrie said, our biggest focus right now is being self-aware and, and bringing light to our own biases and making sure that we are able to address the situations. Um, but without that first step, I don't think that we can do that. Well, Melissa and Carrie, I so much appreciate taking time out of, you know, no big deal, all the stuff that you're doing um, in normal times, plus all the COVID stuff to talk with us. Um, I wish you a, a happy and successful and healthy fall with you and, and, and your kids. Thank you very much. We appreciate being asked to join and and we are hoping for a successful year. Yes, we're hoping everybody stays safe and healthy.